Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dinner time is here. That's right, we're talking episode 10, Buffet Froth, on Dish by Dish. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from the wilds of Wolf Trap, Virginia. This is the Dish by Dish podcast, a Hannibal rewatch project where we watch an episode of Hannibal and then we talk about it. And as always, there's only one person I trust that if I ask her to give me a hand, part of her hand will will slip off like it's a fucking glove of flesh. The one, the only, Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing today, Gina? I'm good, but you see, I like to take, I like to take things literally. <laughs> sure. Yeah, you, you asked me. You, you asked me to give you a hand. I'm just giving you a whole ass hand. <laughs> but it's kind of an empty hand. It is very weird that he doesn't know what happens to that giant. It just like comes right off like a Playtex living glove. <laughs> it's really wild. <laughs> it's, it's, eerie ass shit in this episode yeah i'm bummed out this is a bummer episode not not quite as bummer as uh the one with um uh uh molly shannon but this yeah. was up there yeah i mean you know and it's very weird because all of it is not like some devious plot it is more to do with the frailties of our body and mind which is not something i really want to dig into in no. my quarantine lifestyle. No, no, not 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 in quarantine lifestyle. Not in middle age either. No, that's very true. Um, once upon a time, I think in when Oliver was in first grade, he, they or second, can't remember which, but he kept a little diary every single day uh, at his desk, and um, this was like uh, we just. Uh, we come back to school and everyone had gotten a cold at some point in the house. And so we were looking through this little diary and it said, uh, tell me something about your mother. And he wrote, uh, my mother's very nice. She has day pills and night pills. Oh God. <laughs> because she was taking like a NyQuil and a DayQuil. You know, his teacher's like, hmm, I see. Uh-huh. Well, the, 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 worst, the worst one was that he lamented. He's like, what happens when you go to a restaurant? And he said, oh, I, I can order for myself. My parents always order wine. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, man, between the pills and the wine ordering, we are coming off golden. What were we talking about again? Oh, yeah. Be middle-aged. Yes. Uh, it's, a, it's a joy every day. It truly is. It's like, what what part of my body is going to feel pain today? <laughs> for well, some um, reason. For some reason. Since uh, the last time we we reconnoitered uh, for dish by dish, I managed to put a kitchen knife through my pointer finger. Uh, that was really fun. Um, so we're matchy. I I, I sliced open my uh, my middle finger on a mandolin. A a. a oh. Weapon of the devil. I mean, I've done that way too many times. Uh, usually I get my nails. My nails sort of save the day. But uh, even with uh, a holder, I find a mandolin can be insanely dangerous. Very handy, but dangerous. You know who's probably never cut himself on a mandolin? Who? 
Hannibal Lecter. This is very, very true. I think he might refer to, I mean, he might find a gauche, to be honest with you, because <laughs> it is a bit of a kitchen tool, whereas he might be so confident in his knife skills. He's That's like, true. That's true. Why would I take the joy away of cutting an onion uh, with the technique that I've developed over decades? When, you know, you're just whiffing it back and forth over this plastic monstrosity. And then I end up being his ham in Barrico. And then, <laughs> and then he would never, he, would, he definitely would not appreciate my, well, I made a, I made a blood sacrifice to the kitchen God joke, which I make <laughs> every time I cut myself while I'm cooking something. Uh, yeah. I ended up uh, with three stitches in my finger. Um. And, uh, you know, professional writers rarely need their fingers. So it's going great. Just fucking super. Uh, always wanted a type uh, primarily with my middle finger. It's going great. Uh, well, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's good for you when you're, are, are, you're responding to things on Twitter. Yeah. I mean, aren't we all just typing with our middle fingers on Twitter? <laughs> that's true. Well, but now we're fleeting. Now all the kids, we're, we're fleeting. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, it's just terrible. Another thing I can ignore. <laughs> um, yeah, like what am I going to do? Like I barely Instagram story and Facebook story. Uh, basically, I tell people the same thing I tell them on all. Like, hey, this the new episode is out. Why don't you listen to it? We're kind of funny. And leave it at that. <laughs> Um, people should know before we get too far that, uh, I was a guest on the scarred for life podcast and you're about to be a guest on the scarred for life podcast. So when you get a chance, you should listen to those episodes because it, it's a fun show, lots of great guests, lots of fantastic guests. And then somehow we got lumped in with them. And, uh, of course you're worthy, but, uh, I come off like a, a damn fool. But other than that, it's great. He's being, uh, he's being overly modest. Don't listen to him. I don't even say that I'm modest. I literally at one point looked at myself in the reflection of the of the window that's across from my desk where my microphone is. And I said, I mouthed to myself, shut the fuck up. Well, <laughs> Just, you know, if I, if I looked in the mirror, I would see myself kind of wildly gesticulating like I'm Gilbert Gottfried or something when I'm... When I'm <laughs> I'm like, a, I'm like, a, I'm actually like I'm on talk radio or something. I'm making gestures and nobody can actually see me. You just, the, the camera that's spinning around you is imaginary, but real. Exactly. Exactly. It's a, it's a very sweaty movie that talk radio. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. What is this podcast about again? Oh yeah. Uh, Hannibal. Um, so yeah, this, this episode is depressing. It's oh, just, yeah. it's, it just, uh, it is one of those where that particular case that they're studying, which I'm not entirely sure how they get lumped into this one person case. Isn't he supposed to be hunting serial killers, not just a person who gets killed real good? Yeah, it's it's yeah, I actually didn't think about that, but you're right. It's it's this random killing in Delaware. Yeah. It's like, it's like uh, the FBI assigned them to it. Like, I hear you're going through something. This case might help. Right. Exactly. Is there someone, is there a person in the FBI who does that sort of thing? Have they not been fired yet? Like every other responsible person within our government <laughs> for doing their jobs. You're the only way you keep it. If by not doing your job, apparently. Oh my God. Um, thank you everyone for voting. 
Yeah, we're not all the ones yet, damn it, but thank you. <laughs> we're so, so we're, the light is that there's a lot of lights at ver- at the end of various tunnels. You can see them. We are not there yet, but by God, I can see lights. Can't you, Gina? Doesn't it feel like there are lights out there? there there's, there's some pinpoints. Some yeah. pinpoints. We're, we're not there. We're, <laughs> we're going to have to make it through flu season. And oh my God, stay at home, everyone. If you can, if you can, just to stay home in the entire back catalog and kill by kill. And then yeah. we get, then you get through it, then start again. <laughs> Fall in love with it the third time. Yeah, sometimes I just load up a, a random episode and then listen to. I listen to all of our uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Two episodes uh, in preparation for my scarred for life, and was delighted. You're a very funny lady. Well, thank you. That's very true. Um, and you know, we got to hear you laugh at toilet <laughs> again. The laugh heard around the world because, <laughs> because it's obnoxious. It is obnoxious. Uh, that <laughs> new, that new shout factory, the scream factory disc of that. It looks good, man. That movie looks like a real winner and man, Friday the 13th in 3d actually makes sense. Gina. You can actually see why they would put a flying eyeball. <laughs> but even like static, ep- <laughs> this is the worst dish by dish episode ever. <laughs> we just want to talk about it because it's so sad. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that we don't. It's just like we don't want to weep right now. Exactly. There's been a lot of crying in the house over the, you know, ha- some happy tears, some sad. Life is hard, very hard right now. Yeah. Um, but uh, we did sit down to watch Friday the 13th in 3d and it makes more sense why it's filmed that way when you see it in three dimensions where sometimes you're like why would you film this this way why would you keep the camera there it makes a lot more sense when you actually have the depth of field that they were going for you're like oh okay i have like a new appreciation for it um it still kind of (laughs) sucks I mean, but 3D, in a more fun it, it, way. It's, it's, you know, it's basically a, a carrier for 3D effects. Yes. It, probably it is probably among, among the, you know, the most forgettable characters of the entire well, what series. You, what than, you don't than, get when you just watch it in 2D is that every scene has some element of depth of field so that you actually still always see things, you know, that are closer to you or farther away. And it makes a lot more sense. Um, And then, you know, like those characters still don't make sense. Like Cheech and Chong there. Cheech and Chong light. Just a random middle-aged hippies. They they just picked up (laughs) off the side of the road. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense for her to have that boogie van with all the deadhead stickers on it. And you're like, who is this person? This is an entirely different person than the van that she owns portrays. <laughs> maybe it's... she stole it. <laughs> maybe uh, maybe but... it was the Chili and Chuck's van and they just were so fried they forgot it was theirs. Oh. And then she painted her name on the side of it? Or sure. or they or they just or or she, you know, they were just driving around. They fell asleep in the van, she took it, they woke up there and like, yeah, whatever, as long as we get to where we need to go. Yeah. As long as we have weed and you're taking us around, like we really, really don't care. <laughs> um so all right, let's get into it. This this movie starts in a farmhouse. And with, fuck. with an extremely chill woman living in it. <laughs> 
I, this terrifies the hell out of me. The very idea that I would need to patch a hole in a roof in the and middle she's just of the like, night. She's like, well, this might as well happen. <laughs> like, 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 do you mind if I ex- explain how I set up the scene? Um, it's basically like straight, like, like set like a horror movie. Yeah. Where she apparently lives alone out in the middle of nowhere. She's like this horse girl. <laughs> she looks like she looks like she could be I don't know eighteen to twenty five, but li- but living completely alone, at, it would appear in this farmhouse with a of, with a bathtub just hanging out by your barn. I was like, oh my god, out in no. the middle of bumfuck Delaware. Yeah. Um, so she goes to bed and wakes up and sees her water dripping from the ceiling, mm-hmm. and she can hear footsteps. <laughs> so what does she do? I'm going to investigate. Yeah, I'm going to get up in there. I'm going to find myself a flashlight and just walk up on in there. See what's uh, making all that drippity drip. And it's a giant fucking hole in her roof. Yeah. And and just letting snow in. And, and she's just like, meh, this could wait till morning. <laughs> I got, I'm just going to, I'll, 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 I'll uh, slap up some plastic there and it'll does do it until look, morning. This does not look the least put out. You know, farm life, am I right? Sometimes you wake up in the middle of the night and there's a giant hole inexplicably torn into the into the roof of your house. Not the ceiling, the roof. The roof. There's an entire, she can see outside. And it's been fucking snowing into your attic and you're like, and, another and day, another we, dollar. And what do we see on the roof? Footprints. <laughs> footprints on the roof. <laughs> and then she goes back to her room, sees wet footprints. Well, yeah. you know what? I think we're going to follow those wet footprints and see where they go. <laughs> Slowly. <laughs> not quickly. Not like doesn't find have, a weapon doesn't and have start a, swinging. A, doesn't have a baseball bat. Doesn't nope. have a knife. Mm-mm. Nothing. Her her weapon is a flashlight. I think she assumes a raccoon has donned a pair of her shoes. I don't, I don't know what she I mean, thinks. I mean, honestly, when I can see, when I look up at a ceiling and I see footsteps, like like, like footprints forming in the ceiling... Yeah. I'm like, I'd be like, well, goodbye. Just go right out the door. <laughs> Whatever's happening here can wait until daylight and the police arrive. Exactly. I don't, I don't need to investigate personally. So this, yeah, this poor lady just gets totally the unseen underneath her own bed and blood goes flying. Yeah, that's pretty bad. And and because basically her, her face is pretty much unhinged. Yeah. It pulls a, what happens here is like, uh, have you ever seen Hatchet 2? I am I think, familiar. I, I think it's the Hatchet 2 where where the main guy, the who I, I can't even remember his name. Because um, he's basically Jason Voorhees, but without a mask. And he hatchets a guy's face open and then pulls apart the jaws of it. So it kind of looks like... Um, uh, what is that character from Beetlejuice? I don't think he has an. Well, it's a. It's a, uh, it's a Alec Barbara. Ball. Yeah, Barbara. yeah. She's kind of like just like unhinged. Like she unhinges her head. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, and that's what happens. And so, what we learn is when Will puts himself into a state to try to figure out what happens here, he actually freaks out, grabs the knife and is standing over the body contaminating the entire scene. And everyone's like, oh, that will pull the boner again. (laughs) Yeah, everybody's just sort of like, yeah, we were expecting this. I mean, sooner or later, this was going to happen, that he was going to 
sit in a room and stare long enough that he was then like, oh, maybe I killed this person. And I was like, no, you didn't. <laughs> Big dummy. <laughs> um, and so uh, Hannibal's response to this is like, hey, I'm going to open up this uh, book and you uh, make a failed attempt to draw the, the snowman. I gave you all the clues, Mr. Police. And he draws a clock face. And to him, it all goes in the right place. And then you look at it and everything's sliding down south. It, it, basically, it basically looks like a like a child's version of a, of a dolly painting. Yeah, everything's melting. And so what we eventually learn is that Will has encephalitis in the right side of his brain. And for reasons I'm not entirely convinced of yet, Hannibal's like, I want to see what happens. Yeah, this is a little, it was a little weird. I'm like, I, I, I can understand kind of wanting to observe him falling apart, mm-hmm. but I don't know. It just, it just, it just seems kind of, kind of weird. Yes. I just, uh, I mean, like we've sometimes struggled to understand how a, a one person's scheme equals dollar sign, dollar sign, dollar sign here. I, you know, Hannibal is, is treating Will like a patient to play around with. It's just that like Will carries a gun and works for the FBI. It's like one of those things where I'm not entirely sure. Is he so confident that Will would be able to pull himself together once they actually like give him whatever the, the shot in the arm is for encephalitis. (laughs) I, I mean, go, I, I, I guess, I, I, I just feel like it would make more sense that, you know, the, there wasn't anything physically wrong with Will and that Hannibal put him, the idea into his head that he has that he has something physically wrong with him. Yeah. But somehow Lecter then convinces his old uh, hospital buddy to go in on this. Like, if we both, like, I'm going to treat him as a, as a patient and you're going to treat him as a patient. And we're just gonna see what encephalitis does to his brain. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like hmm, that 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 seems to be breaking several uh, ethics laws for doctors. Yes, yes, a lot. Um, but for some reason that I'm not entirely sure, Doctor Sutcliffe decides, yeah, I'll risk my medical license. Like this seems. Yeah, he's completely unruffled, but which you know, it's kind of I mean, we don't find out because he's horrendously killed by the end of the episode. But but yeah. uh, you know, I, I feel like you know, has Hannibal done something like this before? Because the the because Doctor Cyclone seems neither shocked nor particularly bothered by the idea of just now we're we're not going to tell him. No, I mean he he and Doctor Sutcliffe introduced says, well, uh, Lecter is the most, the sanest man I've ever met. You're kind of like, what? That's okay. It's a weird way to describe somebody. <laughs> I mean, have you seen his suits? All right. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes the collars he wears extends beyond the vest part of his suit, but is contained within the jacket part of his suit. I mean, it's a, it's, it looks great on him. I don't know how I would pull it off, but I also wouldn't call it sane. So I wonder if Sutcliffe is amongst the many people that Lecter is kind of morally compromised over the years where he knows something about their past that could destroy them or he knows something like like 
maybe Sutcliffe killed a patient at some point accidentally and Lecter kept it quiet. So he's like got something over him because he tends to collect those people. He even has it over Will right now because they both know that, uh, oh, now I've forgotten her name. The Minnesota Shrike Jr. Oh, um, uh, 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 uh I, I want to say Isabel, but that's, that's not. It's not. No, <laughs> no she shows up later. Oh, my God. Anyways, uh, but she, we, we now know from the previous episode that she has she killed a guy. Abigail. And, Abigail. Abigail killed the dude. And they all in Lecter knows and will suspects that Abigail was also taking part in the murders that her father committed. And they're keeping that quiet so that they can cure her. But now he's got something over Will, too. He's this is something he kind of does. So I assume we're meant to sort of fill in the blanks for Sutcliffe that he's also morally compromised in a way that Lecter can obviously exploit in violating doctor patient privilege and, you know, not informing a patient that they have a deadly brain disease. Well, this whole, the whole theme of this episode seems to be deeply rooted in gaslighting. Yeah. You know, whereas. You know, Crawford is definitely gaslighting Will. <laughs> this whole the, yes. the, the whole scene, you know, like he—it's he, he, hard to explain. Like, like it, it's interesting that this uh, this angle they took with with Crawford, because in other movies he was sort of not exactly paternal. I would say he was paternal in Silence of the Lambs mm-hmm. to uh, to Jodie Foster's character, but here it's just like he's very much seems. I I, I doubt his sincerity when he says he does not want will to come away from from this experience you know too psychologically damaged i think he's yeah. like, i think basically you know you're a tool to help me solve these crimes yeah well, and, and tells- i'm going and i'm going to keep using you as a tool until until you 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 break and he's because he's very effective at it right and he tells his bullshit story about well ha- after miriam last died because i i put her in the field when i should have i you know, was going to quit this job. And then magically somehow he didn't quit that job. Yeah. <laughs> like, Go ahead. No, oh, uh, that, that he believes that no matter how torn apart will can get, that he can always pull himself back together. And it's got, he's acting like a football coach and will obviously doesn't need a coach. He needs medication, right? He, <laughs> need, he needs a vacation. Yeah. And, you know, a shot of uh, sassafras or jigapoo juice or whatever it is that you take to get rid of encephalitis, Uh, penicillin, I don't know, Uh, whatever it is, he needs it and he needs it fast. But everyone seems to be rather convinced that he can get over this. And it's kind of like, nah, not so much. Yeah, I mean, every, the, you know, characters, he should have a, a sense of, of, of trust. You know, they're all you know, kind of treating him like a lab animal, like seeing how much he can, how much he can take. Yeah. And they, but they all think that their reasons for doing it are, are, are you know, good and noble. Yeah. I mean, and then you, you compare and contrast this to the actual killer, this young woman who has a variety of problems here, stemming from um, many mental disabilities. Also, then, also, she looks like Zelda from Pet Cemetery. <laughs> she does. I don't know. I don't know what kind of medical condition she's supposed to have, but. 
uh, it's pretty wild. Like just blood is disappearing from her, from the connections between her muscles and skin. She's losing bones and she can't feel anything and she can't see people's faces. And then it becomes, are we dabbling with a bit of fantastical ableism here where she's where we're meant to go. Well, there are many things monstrous about her, but they're not, but they're monstrous because they're beyond her or practically anyone else's control. And she is trapped mentally and physically in this place where she doesn't know if she's real or still alive. But I mean, does that then go back to that kind of problem with all of this universe, which very often equates um, mental or physical problems as superpowers for killers. Um, I don't know. Can it be helped? Is it just a part of the air that we breathe with this show? I don't, I don't know. I don't know how worried to get about it. I just know that ableism is something that pervades almost every genre. And we, we, don't talk about it as a society enough. And I, and I, and I don't know that I'm necessarily equipped to be the person who brings it, uh, who uh, can be the, uh, you know, I'm not the judge and the jury on that one. I can just point at it and go, this seems like a problem. Yeah. It's definitely a subject that, that needs to be, <laughs> needs to be addressed very carefully. Yeah. And like I said, I think, you know, I, I don't know much about Qatar syndrome. I know that uh, uh, the character in uh, uh, Synecdo- Synecdoche, New York, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character was supposed to. Oh, wait, no, 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 no. I'm, never mind. I'm conflating something entirely else. Um, okay. It's a. Uh, um, I think it's one of those things it's like Munchausen by proxy that, that it's so rare. And yet people kind of slap it on, you know, to a character just willy-nilly. It's like a multiple personality disorder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, you know, it's such a, you know, for as often as it's mentioned in, in like, pop culture, you think this is a very common thing, and, and it's not. And I don't really know the connect here with this character between her having a mental illness and basically her body just rotting. Yeah. And and I I guess she's supposed to be malnourished or but I mean again she looks like a literal monster yeah. when when you when you when you first see her and she's got this like it's like almost like Neanderthal brow ridge yeah 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 and and I'm like well what is supposed to be going on with her because this is not the same girl in this photograph when they're interviewing and interviewing the mother like I said she looks like Zelda. Yeah. Yeah, she's misshapen, like her skin is literally just coming like falling off of her body. And I'm like, like, well, is she actually dead? And we're dealing with zombies here, or does she have just some sort of bizarre, you know, physical manifestation of this uh, uh, of this, you know, mental illness? And I don't think that's how Qatar syndrome works. I, I no, I think I think yeah, that is one I think element that's, of Yeah, her. that is it is it's you know, that's completely mental where you believe that you are that you are dead yes i, I, I don't then, know i don't know if the not being able to recognize faces is is absolutely actually part of that or not i don't think it is yeah i, I think they just kind of came with a, you know, a hodge a hodgepodge of you know tragic things to to you know 
to, to, to happen to someone's mind. But again, the, 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 I, I, as someone who struggles with some emotional issues, nothing on that level, but I, I do, you know, tend to look at with a, a, a narrow eye, you know, any kind of pop culture that, you know, portrays someone turning into, you know, someone who is mentally ill looking like an actual monster. I, I, I thought a movie that handled that pretty well. I don't know if you saw it. Uh, it's called Daniel Isn't Real. I haven't yet. It's it's on my list. I just haven't gotten to it. it. It came out just as we started working again. And then everything that I wanted, all the time that I had to watch things went away. A lot of people didn't like how that the, the approach of that i i thought it was i thought it was pretty well done but something like this where you know she just you know looks like some out of a fairy tale and yeah, I, mean, I think the physical things that she's suffering from are in addition to the catard syndrome so she's she has a whole host of problems that all seem to be working together as this grander thing of what's happening inside of will and well, yeah, because I, there's a whole parallel when they're interviewing. Uh, what is the what is her name? The character's name, the one the 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 the, the girl doing. She was she. I forgot. I forget her name. And when they're interviewing her mother, yeah, like everything that she is saying about how the daughter was diagnosed or or you know not diagnosed mm-hmm. is every is this parallel to what Will's going through. You know, they just ran a bunch of tests. They don't know anything. You know, I mean, and and. Yeah, you can see that the idea is, oh, he's supposed to relate to this girl in some way. And and I appreciate that, but thought it's a little it's a little bit of, you know, sketchy psychology going on there. Mm-hmm. Uh Georgia is Georgia, her name. right, right, right. Um, I had to look that up. Um, and so Georgia sort of because Will goes back to the house uh to try to reconnect to that feeling that he had. Then he loses time after he pulls the skin off of her hand. <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, Beverly's there to try to help him figure out. But that it sort of explains why the decaying flashes on all the murder weapons. But she sort of attaches herself to Will to the point where uh, he wakes up after one of his night sweat field <laughs> dream states. Somehow she, she followed him, which I... Yeah. I, I didn't quite get that either. Um, yeah, I don't how she followed him on foot because it's not like she has like a. Like I mean, yeah, I mean, a, you know, go kart. You, you, uh, Delaware to Virginia is a pretty good. It's a pretty good hike. Yeah, would she follow his scent? Like <laughs> again, it's a television show. Oh yeah, speaking but, of scent, we 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 discover that 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 Hannibal Lecter can also smell disease. Mm, yeah. <laughs> pardon me he does several times in this and he describes will's uh encephalitis as having a heat to it with a slight sweetness um sounds so delicious <laughs> it's delicious uh so this all culminates um with uh i think i, I think by the end of the show i think lector fig- figures out that he can't keep up the whole we can't, you know, your doctor can't tell you you have encephalitis thing and goes, well, I'm just going to kill two birds with one stone and kill off Dr. Sutcliffe in the same way that Georgia had killed off her friend Beth. Uh, and But Beth happens to be there and walks in and Lecter's like, all right, here's the scissors. Um, 
you don't know who I am because you can't see my face. Anyway, toodles. And he this walks is, this is the fine. Door. This works. This works too. <laughs> this works too. And uh, you know, I've, I've cut off uh, quite literally the thing that would have uh, got me caught and I put it off on somebody else. And then she manages to uh, pretty much kind of turn herself in as it were uh, to will. And then she gets put into a giant hyperbaric chamber uh, and and Will's like, oh man, I I hope she can remember, you know, what happened. And Hannibal's like, oh no, no, that's the last thing you want. The last thing you want is her remembering what happened because she saw him kill Dr. Sutcliffe. So it is very, it is very, uh, even his raincoat is tailored. His little murder, (laughs) his little murder jacket is tailored. He's got a murder suit. He's got a cute little murder suit. <laughs> um, and so that just about does it for this episode of Hannibal. I mean, I, I, a lot of it just is very mood based. And the status quo basically comes down to Will is losing his mind, not due to mental illness necessarily, but to do due to this encephalitis, which will continue to go untreated so long as Hannibal Lecter has his hands on the wheel. And uh, that is the status quo. Choose your own death venture. Uh, do you want to have your head split open in a farmhouse or in a hospital? Do you know? Um, no, I'll say, I'll say the farmhouse. It actually looks pretty cozy. I mean, yeah, when you don't have a, a murderous a best friend from high school who's been driven insane by her mental and physical uh, abnormalities, yeah, it sounds like a hoot. You got a bathtub out in your front yard. Who, lots, what of, else lots, could of you pic- want? lots of pictures of horses. <laughs> she's, uh, quite the horse girl. Good for her. It seems like she's got a cozy bed. Um, I'm going to go with hospital. Uh, Cause that office looks really neat. It's <laughs> really big for a hospital office. It seems abnormally large, but he's very high up in the. the I was gonna uh, say, well, he's a neurologist, such as the big bucks are. Yeah, I guess so. Should have gotten into that racket, but uh, then again, I can't remember character names. <laughs> <laughs> and last episode, I couldn't remember my own name. So there we go. So that just about does it. Uh, we'll be back next week with Kill by Kill. We're talking Saw's Giving. Which Saw sequel that we've never seen before will we watch and how confused will we get? I'm not going to tell you the first part. And the second part, yeah, we're confused as hell. We've got a great guest. Uh, the one, the only Steven Sadak from We Hate Movies. Waking uh, our way through the We, the we Hate Movies crew. Uh, we're two for four halfway done uh, and he's great and uh, you're going to enjoy that episode and of course the week after that yet another dish by dish as we come ever so closer to our season one finale uh, and that just about does don't worry uh, the buffet will continue for myself and for Gina bye bye everybody bye